Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. This is Hannah Leiter, your host. For this episode, we are going to be looking at consumer trends in terms of the digital world, like virtual reality, augmented reality, and just the overall digital lifestyle and how it has seeped into our non-digital lives. Joining me for the discussion is trends expert, Eric Wagatha. Eric is the head of GFK Consumer Life, which is our resident trends and forecasting product. Welcome, Eric. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I kind of want to get into it with starting with a question about the last couple of years, because of course it's been a little unique. So what is your take on the acceleration of the digital experience thanks to the 2020 lockdowns and what's happened since? That's a really great question, Hannah. And I think the key word, and actually you posed it in your question, was acceleration. So clearly, digital experience is something that's been growing and evolving um, as technology itself has been growing and evolving and uh, permeating many facets of our lives. But clearly, under the lockdown and particularly the shift towards work from home and digitalization of lifestyle since we couldn't physically get out uh, as much, as, as prior to the pandemic, um, really brought this issue to the forefront of what digital experiences are and where we expect them to go. A couple areas that we have seen uh, tremendous growth um, are around um, the hybrid lifestyle. One of the key areas where we've seen digital experiences taking off is an area we call the hybrid lifestyle, which is really looking at that balance of kind of online and offline behaviors that consumers are engaging in and to what extent they're sort of morphing into a different strategy. Um, Obviously, when we are under lockdown and uh, sort of sequestered at home, uh, we saw consumers experimenting with many more facets of digital behavior from shopping um, and entertaining and obviously in areas of productivity. Um, I think streaming in all areas of online entertainment is something where we've seen some tremendous growth and experimentation. We think about the services like Disney Plus and Netflix and the Hulus of the world uh, all had phenomenal growth and we expect pretty much that to continue as people see the convenience, the quality and accessibility of online streaming. Um, shopping online has accelerated and we continue, we expect that to continue to, to grow as well as consumers realized, um, you know, there's so many areas of, of consumption that can be accessed online. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more later on in terms of how uh, the convenience of not just shopping, but accessing and acquiring those objects sort of became uh, to the forefront with new innovation during the pandemic. Um, I want to talk a, a couple maybe secondary ideas that may not be uh, sort of as obvious. Um, you know, one thing we don't talk so much about, but is evident uh, is what we call boomer acceleration with technology uptake. 
um, you know, definitely when we look at technology trends and, and who are early adopters, it tends to gravitate towards younger consumers uh, who are, are more familiar and more engaged with that. But one thing we did see during the pandemic uh, was a rise of obviously virtual interactions and meetings uh, by elderly consumers and, and, and boomers. So, uh, you know, sometimes we jokingly talk about older generations being a little bit more uh, Luddite or, or not as tech accessible. But I think one thing that the pandemic did do was force uh, definitely large groups of consumers out of their comfort zone with technologies. And we've seen sort of the benefits of that with you know families being able to communicate uh, across different geographies under lockdown across various generations. So a couple of good things came out. Something else that, uh, you know, was sort of a secondary uh, sort of acceleration uh, is around sustainability. And again, we'll talk about this a little bit more what it means for technology, but in terms um, considering um, our impact on environment, uh, as well as our consumption products and services that do have an impact on the environment. This is one area that we actually saw growing through the pandemic, and we expect that to continue post-pandemic. And finally, one of, I would talk of one of the areas that perhaps not a, a positive outcome of digital experience and acceleration uh, is around sort of digital etiquette and, and so the shaming, you know, we, we've all uh, sort of been under lockdown. We've all been moving a lot of our lifestyle increasingly online in the social media. So I think, uh, you know, part of, of the emotion of being sequestered or being under lockdown, uh, part of the acceleration of being increasingly online, clearly um, our dialogues have become a little bit more um, transparent and and certainly as we're seeing with uh, a lot of the the social dialogue the positive and negative in those forums um, we expect um, you know that to really be one of the the long-lasting outcomes from the pandemic is how we learn to socialize with each, with each others and perhaps um, you know pulling the blinders back a little bit with a reality in terms of how people feel uh, about online etiquette and online behavior as well yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of the times I think you do focus on the innovations, but of course, with all good things comes bad things as well. And it certainly has started a big conversation about even, you know, online bullying and things like that. So I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. And I'd add on top of that, it's not just, uh, you know, things like bullying and, and shaming and, and commenting, but also the, the broader narrative of uh, what is and what are brands' responsibilities to, you know, privacy um, and the data boundaries? Obviously, we've moved more online, part of it out of necessity, but it's certainly opened up the dialogue in terms of what, what are brands' responsibilities in terms of the data they acquire, the data they ask for, and what they do for that. Yeah, I also loved your point on older generations kind of being forced to become more tech savvy. And that part, I think kind of, at least that's what I think of when I'm thinking of my next question, which is basically how are the current digital trends due to all of that acceleration different from what it could have been had those lockdowns not happened? Hannah, I, I think it's a question not so much of what trends would have been different, but to what extent these trends would have occurred, you know, this quickly or this early in terms of their um, evolution, in terms of the trend spectrum. Uh, what the pandemic did do was accelerate certain behaviors and certain technologies, and more importantly, acid tested quite a few of them. So when we mentioned earlier on around boomers uh, being more acclimatized to technology, 
during the pandemic. You know, Zoom is a great example of uh, software, a fairly easy loose software that enabled uh, boomers to, you know, interact with family members. So um, obviously that brand has had its IPO and it seems to be doing quite well, uh, but there are other video conferencing type, you know, uh, softwares uh, around and, and pre prior to Zoom. So I think what we're going to see really in the next few years is of the innovations of the behaviors and shifts that consumers have engaged in. Um, some will stick, some will improve, and some will certainly disappear. Do you think that, you know, 50 years down the road, are we still going to consider this a huge acceleration where it kind of lifted off into what is now? Or is it really just, you know, in retrospect, a, a blip in all of what's going to be the digital journey for us? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. You know, if I were to sort of paraphrase that in the question we hear from clients, you know, sort of what behaviors uh, will go on, will evolve, and where will we go back to where we were right pre pre pandemic? What's going to stick? In other words, um, you know, a couple areas that we do think will endure in terms of demonstrable differences in terms of our behaviors and expectations. I think, you know, we talk quite a lot around the general health and wellness trend and certainly in the pandemic, an element of personal and even social hygiene, if you will, was brought to the forefront, right, with all the cleansing and you know, the wiping and all of those kinds of behaviors. We do expect this aspect of hygiene to continue, uh, whether again, it's in the personal sphere or perhaps in your professional sphere or even in the, the commercial sphere and retail, um, that this is one of those areas that we think is going to be sort of sticky and, and evolve and won't go away. Um, another area, and um, this certainly plays into kind of the economic um, situations that we're are, are in, are what we call essential consumption. You know, we learned under the pandemic that perhaps we don't need to buy everything or have every service um you know immediately um obviously that sort of dovetailed with higher unemployment rates for you know for some periods of times and um you know and loss of wealth for for others but generally speaking and let's make the assumption that you know sort of economies do improve in the, in the long term uh, this idea of essential consumption you know sort of buying what i need and being a little bit more thoughtful about my consumption we think is one that's going to endure Think about you know what's going on with uh, you know people are looking towards uh, camping and, and home renovating. You know these are sort of behaviors that um, are in a way we're re a reaction to being under lockdown, right? And and you know what do I spend my money on? What do I do? Um, and now now that I'm sort of getting out of this pandemic, what do I want to engage in from new experiences? So we do see on the one hand home based things like renovation and cooking, uh, definitely the vogue during the pandemic. Um, a bit more questionable in terms of what that long-term expectation is, right? Does this mean everyone's going to renovate their home over the next 10 to 50 years? Probably not. Does this mean that cooking for fun, um, you know, uh, is going to be, you know, the, the mode for everyone for the next, you know, 10, 20 years? Maybe, maybe not. But I think what we are seeing is those kinds of mindsets um, do take root for certain individuals across generations. And again, we expect to see some innovation and, and sort of stickiness to those topics. On the flip side is outdoor behavior. Uh, we are seeing now kind of a 
a push towards the outdoor sense of adventure, uh, you know, camping, getting outdoors there in nature, reconnecting with nature. You know, this is one area that uh, for quite some time actually in the U.S. had been decreasing, especially in a digital world, right, and becoming people being more home-based and technology-based in, the, in their entertainment. So I think one area that, um, you know, we're not sure if we're hedging our bets on, but that outdoor lifestyle, reconnecting with nature, uh, seems to be an area that, um, again, may show some some promise longer term. And why? I don't know that it's so much the experience itself being novel. I mean, we've talked about glamping and, you know, other ways of broadening the appeal of camping. But you're really looking at at um, two groups, one that we talked about earlier on, boomers, uh, being in a life stage where, where being outdoor and being retired certainly works well uh, with with their their needs and obviously their time and and assets available. The other is on the opposite end with Gen Z, our younger consumers, right? Uh, these are folks that maybe not did not do as much sort of camping earlier on, and now this is something they're experimenting with. And so, if this um, it kind of becomes imprinted on on them in terms of their lifestyle. We'd expect that they carry this into their next life stage when they have, you know, families and kids themselves. So I think camping and, and the great outdoors uh, perhaps bodes well for different reasons and or, again, for different consumer groups for the long term. You recently wrote a blog about digital reality that I want to quote for a moment. You said, quote, what the pandemic has done is forced a focus on experimenting and exploring new forms of interaction and entertainment. We're seeing a blend of online behavior with real-world engagement, and con global consumers are always looking for the next big thing or big experience. What are some of those experiments that became the next big thing or are going to become the next big thing? Okay, uh, next big thing, uh, definitely click and collect. You know, I think this is one of those errors that uh, really brings the benefits of online with the benefits of real world. And it's indicative of this hybrid lifestyle I mentioned early on where consumers are increasingly sort of morphing between an online and offline world and looking for the best solution that fits them. So click and collect, allowing to order online, and then you know physically and quickly picking up that, that product, uh, whether it's a locker or store or curbside that meets your convenience. I think we're gonna see these ideas um, will, will develop further and be the next big thing long-term. And finally, Telehealth, this is one area that saw phenomenal growth. Can we actually interact with medical professionals virtually? And the answer has been yes. And uh, benefit to consumers, obviously, access on their time, but also benefit to time-starved doctors to be able to you know, interact with consumers um, and their clients in a way that's also safe for them, right, as, as the health provider uh, being exposed to, to obviously, uh, maladies that are out there. Yeah, I love the telehealth field and how it's really evolved because now when I've done that or I know people who have used that kind of a system, it kind of feels like, hmm, this could have been an email when you are in certain meetings. <laughs> when you went into the doctor's office, you're like, hmm, I probably could have just done this over a phone call. So I think that is going to be really cool to see that continue to evolve. And especially when we think about, you know, biometrics and personal devices, right, that can capture increasingly meaningful, uh, you know, health data, uh, the ability then to transmit that to your healthcare provider and, you know, review that, I think is going to allow for, um, you know, somewhat more complex diagnoses, 
uh, you know, beyond just, you know, going to the doctor virtually because you, you have a headache or, or you have a, a, have a cough. So I think we're going to see telehealth grow, not just in terms of the comfort between, you know, uh, consumer and, and medical practitioner, but really in terms of, um, you know, the sort of types of data that become more and more accessible and tra transmittable between consumer and doctor through devices. Right, the health field could look very different in 10 to 20 years. So that is going to be something to look out for. Absolutely. Kind of thinking of kind of thinking of that, how it's the health industry is now integrating this technology more and more into their industry. I want to talk about some other brands and how they integrate certain things. Like for example, a brand who wants to get more into uh, augmented reality or virtual reality integrations in their buying and selling journeys. Where's a good place to start for them? Well, I think it's a first starts with a fundamental question, right? Is it meaningful and relevant to your consumer first and foremost, right? So first start starts with understanding who their target consumer is what is that brand relationship? Um, you know, what is that purchase process? And recognizing if there's a friction point, right? Or a point where perhaps AR and VR uh, can play a meaningful role. So uh, it's not just about going out there and innovating right off the bat. It's understanding, you know, your target and where that gap exists, if there is one that can be fulfilled by AR and VR. Secondly, uh, is this a competitive differentiator? You know, so we clearly look at competition. Um, are, are they already engaging in these types of activities with some level of behavior? Um, and certainly it pays you know, a lot of attention to look at what your competition is doing and recognizing whether you are, uh, you know, a, a, an early leader, an innovator or, or a fast follower when it comes to AR and VR. Yeah, I think you have a good point with having to have a really good balance or expertise in order to do something like virtual reality and do it well. Uh, with that, I want to turn the tables a little bit and talk about maybe some of the experiments that didn't capture consumers and didn't work during this time. Right. Actually, I want to go back to, you know, one of the areas that seems so strong, right? We talked about streaming media and streaming services grew tremendously, uh, you know, but one particular brand, Quibi actually, you know, rose and, and fell during that entire time. So, you know, it's not to say when we, we talk about some of these macro trends that it's simply have your solution and, and success will be ensured. You know, why did Quibi fail? And, uh, you know, from the consumer's perspective, what we learned that in, in a way, look, they were online, they were, uh, you know, going to be a smartphone based app. Uh, everything seemed uh, like it was going to work. They were going to develop original content, but one of the, the, the challenges, um, uh, was really what happened in, in two ways. One, competitively, right? Under lockdown, all the services invested and, and grew. So there was certainly a race to market share that, uh, you know, uh, Quibi didn't, uh, didn't uh, rise to the occasion on. But more importantly, if you think about the, the fundamental um, concept of Quibi, of snack bite type media of 10 minutes or less, makes a lot of sense if you're, you know, waiting curbside for your Uber or in public transportation um, or in line, you know, to pick up your Chipotle's doesn't make sense when you're sequestered and under lockdown at home, right? Where you basically have your devices and, and your, your, your home base and lock. So, uh, you know, Quibi is an example that, uh, you know, and for other uh, reasons, I'm sure internally did not survive the pandemic goes back to what I mentioned earlier around, you know, hygiene as a growth area and even telemedicine, 
Uh, you know, there was some quick development around contact tracing apps, you know, a great idea, right, to be informed uh, if people around you, you know, have been diagnosed with the pandemic and, you know, so you can take appropriate action. Um, but we realized, you know, particularly in the U.S., that this topic or this area, um, while the ulterior motive was one that was positive and focused on our, our goodwill and, and wellness, was essentially to move too closely in the area of data privacy and security. Right, uh, having to share that kind of information to corporations um, just didn't work, and and really speaks to the greater issue for the future of technology and and customization of experiences, which is the consumer needs to divulge a certain amount of ex, uh, information for the manufacturer or brand to provide a customized experience or benefit, and we'll see in the next five, ten, fifteen years what is that fine line, right? And in this case, with contact tracing apps, that line, you know, that chasm was too large. And so those apps did not fail. It's so interesting when you talk about what worked, like telehealth really worked, but then contact tracing didn't. Or you think about how TikTok just exploded during the pandemic when it first started, and then something like Quibi failed. So what is it specifically about a digital experience that really brings in the consumer? I think it really gets down to really one key thing, right? What is the novelty of that experience? How meaningful is it for me personally? And what, if any, are the hurdles to have that experience? So really what that speaks to, right, is content, um, accessibility, right? And a lot of these obviously through our smartphone and, and whatnot, um, and then data privacy really is is the fundamental issue what do i have to to give up or share about myself in other in order to have access to these um, new types of experiences what can if we think about also social trends like sustainability or inclusivity um what can brands do or how can they involve themselves in this when they shift to a digital experience it's a really interesting question right because i mean in theory digital is zeros and ones uh, oftentimes, though, there is hardware behind that uh, of certain kinds. So, you know, all of the types of manufacturers um, need to recognize that, you know, the devices in which they operate or are owned by consumers, um, you know, do do have some type of a carbon footprint. Uh, and increasingly, especially younger consumers are aware of that. So in part of if the end delivery is an experience, it's really in that, you know, that process of getting there what are sustainability practices in place um, that help define that. So think about it as from, we talk about from farm to table, right? With with food and organic mm -hmm. food, think of it the same idea, but with talk technology products, um, you know, again, getting into the hands of consumers. In terms of, uh, you know, kind of broader diversity, you know, the truth is these, the best experiences digital are on the best uh, devices available to consumers. So clearly, and especially in the US where we have economic polarization, um, you know, certain people are limited in, in order for having these experiences simply because A, they don't have you know, the highest level of internet access or bandwidth or, or Wi-Fi speed um, or newer devices that play, you know, these optimized, um, you know, kinds of experiences or whether it's, you know, VR headsets, um, you know, and, and really good smartphones that have wonderful cameras to, uh, take full advantage of AR applications. 
Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. I would love to ask you this because I know that you are always digging deep into these trends and forecasting and all the data that involves with it. What's some of the most unexpected mindsets that you've found from consumers' digital experience in the past couple of years? I think what impresses me the most is that consumers are generally willing to experiment. Um, because if you think about it, it, it is an investment of time and money, um, certainly lots of time for, for quite a few of these devices and, and venues. Um, and the benefits aren't necessarily that clearly defined. You know, it's almost like you self-teach yourself with applications and devices. Well, some of these experiments or experiences are in a way self-taught as the consumer, you know, dives deeper into it. Um, so on the one hand, I'm impressed with that constant willingness to try, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about, you know, always seeking the, the next big thing. Um, but just as impressed as how quickly they're willing to reject if there's not really a demonstrable benefit or an improvement to, you know, existing need or, or, or condition that they're in. Um, you know, we're at a stage now when we think about you know, the broader notion of technology is it's not niche anymore, right? It's really mainstream. So you can stop anyone on the street um, in any walk of life and have some type of a technology discussion with them. And so um, consumers are getting more and more fickle right? Uh, it's increasingly difficult to impress them, even though they're willing to try. Um, you know, we've seen some heroic and some, some, certainly some areas, we, you mentioned yourself, TikTok earlier on, um, that do show, you know, promise for the rise. So will there continue being social media apps? Yes. And there will be something after TikTok. Um, but I think it is that willingness to try, you know, kind of, um, you know, blended, if you will, or or as a counterpoint to the uh, willingness to reject if the, um, you know, the opportunity or the benefit isn't clear that I think makes the technology sector one that's that's an area where we continue to keep our eye. You know, this, it's, an, it's an area where the, the movement is quick. Um, the successes are great as well as as the downfalls. I'll add to that one more thing. Um, we we at Consumer Life um, ask various questions around consumers' attitudes towards technology. And, and you know, in the past, the, the questions themselves were asked more in an optimistic way in terms of being an early adopter or looking out for the next big thing. We have a few questions that inherently get at a sense of skepticism. And it's really in those areas, uh, especially around data privacy or, you know, technologies doing or performing as promised, where we see this sort of rise of skepticism growing across the board. So I think this is one area where um, as technologists move forward, you know, they will find an increasingly, you know, the fickle consumer. Right. That battle between wanting the access and the convenience, but also not wanting to give up all of your privacy. I know that's a big theme I've seen in a lot of different trends and a lot of different um, areas in insights. Well, and I'd add on top of that, think about our technology bill, uh, you know, whether it's your streaming services of, you know, various kinds you might subscribe to, your hardware devices, whether it's your, you know, TVs or monitors or obviously smartphones and laptops, um, your Wi-Fi access at home, right, your cable service, if you have any, um, our technology bills are, you know, continue to rise and, 
are spread across you know multiple areas so uh, i think you know one of the the big challenges is that great consolidator of the future you know how do we provide more experiences and benefits for consumers yet it's you know not just adding more to the bill and i think that's where some of the skepticism also is rising uh, isn't just about you know efficacy or, or data privacy but do i need this additional service or app or hardware, you know, in an increasingly crowded ecosphere of technologies in our own personal lives. Yeah, there's never been a better time to be in the technology field. There's no doubt about that. And we're still, you know, in the beginning. I mean, the sky is the limit at this point to what we're capable of. Thinking ahead, do you think that consumers will prefer to stick to that online experience and continue that on and is it eventually going to kind of fade away a lot of that brick and mortar that we've had for so many years, for centuries? Yeah, that's a really challenging question because, um, you know, I think the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic has showed how important our physical worlds, right, our analog worlds are as well. Um, so I do think, and the dialogue between, you know, omnichannel shopping, right, do I buy online, do I go in store? I honestly think that's going to um, you know, be one we're going to talk about for quite some time and it will evolve. Um, but I think, you know, preferring a strict online experience, I'm focusing on that aspect. I don't I don't believe that will be um, the norm across all groups, you know, uh, in you know, in generations um, as the mainstream, you know, ult ultimately or absolutely, I should say. Um, really, the be the challenge here is we know the benefits of online and they typically are around convenience um you know access to many products right choice if you will uh, and increasingly the experience you know how i interact with products virtually or through augmented reality i can almost get a, a real world sense even though it's digital so so the online world doesn't need to prove itself anymore i, I believe it's the brick and mortar that's going to need to continue to evolve and demonstrate its role. You know, sort of that try before you buy in a lot of ways, right? I can go in, I can, uh, you know, physically manipulate or, or or experience as well as quick access with purchase. So I do think it is definitely, um, you know, the click and mortars that are going to need to figure out how do they play and uh, create a, a unique and, and kind of a defensible position. Um, the reality, though, a lot of brands are playing both area, right? Take Best Buy as a, a wonderful experience. This is really the last remaining tech retail um, outfit in, in the U.S. and are doing quite well. Thank you very much as they've you know, managed to build a huge and strong online business, yet build a point of sale area where consumers can go in and obviously shop all kinds of products, but more importantly, gain access to one-on-one -on -one service, um, you know, with with Geek Squad workers at, at Best Buy. So, you know, that's just one brand that is finding its niche, its role in brick and mortar that may not simply or ultimately be a, purely about product sales, but customer relationship and brand building for the longer term. Yeah, that's a really great example. Well, Eric, I'm afraid to say that we are out of time on today's episode. Now, if you are sad to see Eric go, he will definitely be back for other episodes. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast for that. 
Eric, I have one last question for you. As an expert in trends and forecasting, what is your best advice for those who are just starting to really tap into consumer trends or have started putting more of an emphasis on it since the pandemic began? No, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's a question we often get from our clients. The reality with consumer trends is that it is an ongoing and enduring you know, engagement and process. Consumers evolve, um, they peak, uh, trends decline over time, and really it becomes a study of cultures and behaviors as they go through different moments of crises and evolution. Um, when times are great and there's a relative social status quo, um, you know, trends typically seem to be a little bit more stable. When we have times of crises, Think of the Great Recession of 2008, 9, and 10, the pandemic, obviously, of you know the past year, year and a half now. These create situations and environments where the existing solutions for the time may not be enough for moving forward. So consumers become much more open-minded to ideals and values and solutions you know, that work for you know post-pandemic or, or post-crisis mode. And that's why trend systems, as you develop them, um, need to be looked at, evolved, reviewed, uh, challenged, and updated on a, a frequent enough basis, depending on the sector that you're in. Um, certainly something we can help with our clients uh, and, and happy to hear uh, from any of you. Yeah, absolutely. And I will make sure to leave contact information for Eric in the show notes. Um, I also mentioned the blog that he recently was a part of, and I will make sure to link that as well as any Keep relevant information. Ahead. I know that Eric, you gave a lot of great examples in pointers today, and we actually are now providing a transcription of the episodes. So if you want to see some of that in writing, you can go ahead and also just click on the episodes overview link. Um, and that will take you to the GFK website to see that as well. But with that, I'm going to give one last thank you to you, Eric, for lending it and giving us some of your insights and experts on today's episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.